The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not those of GUI Network, their sponsors, or any of the properties mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity. Well, it's a podcast, so you won't see the nudity. I just do it to make the guest uncomfortable. In a world gone mad with unnecessary reboots, remakes, and sequels, only one podcast has the guts to make it even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Hello, geeks, and welcome to another episode of Smack My Pitch Up, where we reboot, remake, reimagine, sequel, sidequel, mashup, and adapt some of your favorite and least favorite film and TV properties from yesteryear. Tonight, we have a very special episode where we're tackling something that should by no means ever be remade or rebooted. No. Ever. Uh, I'm going on Front Street with that right at the very beginning before people start like sending emails and messages. It's very true. This is a very delicate matter. Like, I'm sure there are going to be a couple people that are unfamiliar with how we do things here that are going to tune in just to be enraged. And I'm saying none of this is stuff that we actually say should happen. This is just a fun mental exercise. Uh, With me tonight from Beautiful Disasters to uh, help me along with this bad idea from the get-go is uh, Herr Groots. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. Now, the uh, last episode you were on, we tackled Inner Space, which I wasn't necessarily against them doing a reboot or remake of. It, It was... Kind of a cult classic at, at yeah. to the highest point, and uh, it had been around long enough that it didn't seem necessary to, to do a reboot necessarily, but it wouldn't have hurt my feelings necessarily. Right, yeah. You know, as long as they treated it right, and I think some of the ideas we came up with uh, changed it enough that it was going to be its own thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Now, this film, not only is it something that should never be touched, because it is phenomenal cinema that is unparalleled it's a perfect movie it is it's it's one of those movies that i can watch time and time again and never get tired of but also it's very much a film for its time yeah um when it came out you know it's it's a film that would be really hard to update yes and no you could update but it existed in in a period of time it was shot in the mid 70s i believe or late 70s where you know, in New York City, where everything was dilapidated and super fucked up, but it was also one of the first examples of of neo noir, and it was so brilliant in its execution that it was just this dark, terribly dark, gritty, depressing. Oh, ass absolutely! Movie. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we we're of course talking about the Martin Scorsese classic, Taxi Driver. Yes, indeed. Now, even if you have not seen this film, which, you know, most people have, I'd say if you're a fan of film, this is one of those, like, have-to-see movies. Right. But if you haven't, you at least know some of the lines. The, you talking to me, I don't see anybody else here, so you must be talking to me, that thing that's been used in countless movies. Oh, yeah, no, it's, it, that, that, yeah, that's been stolen for a million things. It's been referenced all over the place, including films like Neighbors where Zac Efron is wearing a taxi driver costume at some point <laughs> in that film. I mean, it's iconic. It, uh, it's beloved for its uh, 
filmmaking. It's beloved for yeah. its its stylized approach to things. I mean, I know it was beloved by you know the punk rock community when I was coming up, just because it had like the Mohican vigilante kind of character. Right. Even though, to a degree, the character is problematic as a, as a antihero as much as like right. let's say the Droogs are in Clockwork Orange, where they're not good. <laughs> like, well, these no, are not absolutely not people you should be rooting for. And one of the things, like, it did come out in kind of the late 70s, the heyday of violent cinema. Sure. Where, you know, is pre-MPAA, you know, where the controls hadn't been put back on, you know, sure, so much. So, you know, obviously there was a lot of genre cinema coming out at that time, a lot of exploitation, stuff like that. But this was set in that world, but played it straight and serious and hard and dark and depressing. And it was, that's what made it brilliant. And it really, that it was a big gamble for Martin Scorsese to go that dark. Sure. Because I mean, as even so he was a name at that point, mm-hmm. he wasn't Scorsese as we know him today. You know, this isn't right. This is before like every movie he did was good. <laughs> was right, Scorsese, exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Or even stuff that isn't as quite, um, as appreciated as others, like, I don't know, bringing out the dead or shutter Island. There are people that deeply love those films or, no. or, or Cape fear or Cape fear. I like Cape fear. Yeah. But Robert De Niro does have the worst accent in the history okay. of bad. Accents. I don't know. The, uh, John Malkovich in rounders is pretty bad. Gift the man his money is pretty yeah, fucking that, rough. That was, that was pretty bad. Too. Or uh, Tim Curry in Congo. Also not, <laughs> not the best. Yeah. That would be a great GI episode is the works accents of film and <laughs> just run through. Oh yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> that could easily take up an hour. That would not be hard at all to do. Oh, my, my wife could wax poetic on all the bad, you know, Southern and hillbilly accents. That oh, sure. Been a thing. <laughs> yeah. But this film, there's, it's very New York there. I was thinking about briefly, ever so briefly, should it be set in New York? I don't think you can have this story anywhere else. This isn't an LA story. This isn't a Chicago story. Um, Chicago possibly, but I feel really, this is so deeply grounded in New York that you can't peel it away from that. You're taking the, the bones away from it. If you get it out of New York. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it could be said other places, but it would have to be the dark seedy underbelly. And there aren't enough places that have such a plethora of that. Like than, Chicago. Yeah. Than New York City. <laughs> like Chicago possibly, but I mean, you could potentially set this movie like in LA in the eighties when there was just nothing but like drugs along the strip before, like everything got like fancy in Hollywood. You know, there was a time when, you know, Hollywood, you know, Hollywood itself was a shit house. Yeah. It was just all hookers and yeah. yeah. Oh, I know. Uh, like the, the seventies into the, probably the late eighties. Yeah. Hollywood was a, that's how you got hair bands. <laughs> just that's how you got hair bands? Drugs and prostitution. Yes. Hollywood Vice Squad. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so how we do this, just a brief overview on anybody that hasn't listened before, is that we basically take a f- property, tonight it's Taxi Driver, and we kind of wax poetic about the film a little bit. We talk about why we liked it, and then we get into kind of what we would do for a reboot or a reimagining, a remake, and we do two versions a piece, one of which is one that we think might actually work if you were to do a reboot or remake, this is the best version that you could expect to have happen. Right. The best actors, the best director that you think would fit in this film for a remake or something. And then we have one 
which is just fun for us, where we talk about just kind of a different take on the property, a reimagining for sure, most of the time, on the director that you would never really approach to do that film. Right. Um, but sometimes that has worked in real life. We were talking before, part of the inspiration of doing Taxi Driver is that there's a new Scorsese-produced film coming out uh, in the near future, Joker. Yes. And the director for that was one that you would not necessarily consider for a Scorsese-produced gritty version of Joker. No. Todd Phillips, known for such films, gritty crime films like Road Trip and The Hangover (laughs) and Old School. (laughs) So... Not a uh, not not at all. N- the probably opposite end of what would I would expect for for this film. But all the early reviews for it say that I mean it got an eight minute standing ovation at the uh, was it Vienna Film Festival Venice Film or Festival. Venice Film Festival yeah, yeah. yeah. So fuck it. <laughs> I, I'm so very invested in in Joker and Joaquin Phoenix is the perfect guy to play that character. In my opinion, he's been crushing it lately. Last ten years, he's been turning out. Solid fucking gold. You know, the master, uh, you are never really here. Like, everything he touches is, I mean, he commits so hard to the role, and that's going to make this movie. It's him getting the Oscar. There's going to be two Jokers with Oscars. That's <laughs> that's the thing that is just kind of crazy to me as somebody that grew up in the era that I did, and, and you're, like, within a few years of me of... yeah. I remember going to the drive-in to see the first Batman movie with my family. And I was like, I don't like seven or eight Yeah, when the first one came out. And I was deeply in love with it at that point. But I was even amazed that like this Batman character that I was a beloving, you know, as, as a kid was now this like gritty, dark, like movie version that like, right. whoa, it's a big time movie and uh, was blown away. And now here we are so many years later and it's a Scorsese produced Joker movie that has Oscar buzz. I mean, that that's in, that's insane. The it's insane, but I am loving it for sure. I I can't wait. (laughs) We've talked about how much difference has come where, you know, get out won an Oscar for what was it? Uh, best original screenplay, best original screenplay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and horror movies are normally snubbed by the Oscars. Absolutely. And then there we go with, I get out. I mean that, and Ledger got the nod for Oscar. Yeah, he so. got the posthumous uh, fucking yeah. best actor, best supporting actor. Or best whatever. supporting actor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, times they are a change in. And, uh, Definitely. I mean, the proof is in the pudding with the new Joker movie. So, with that in mind, that's kind of in the back of our, of our heads as we're approaching how to do Taxi Driver. Now, we've talked a little bit that it's it's gritty, it's visceral. Like, it it is definitely a place in time kind of movie. Right. And... If you're unfamiliar with Taxi Driver, do yourself a favor, go track it down. It won't be hard to find. It's on if it's not free somewhere, it will be cheap to rent. Go see it. And, you owe yourself to see this movie. And it's very much a product of its time, both in the language and the tone that people have with each other. These are like gnarled like New York cab drivers that yeah. talk like New York cab drivers. Right. And they meet the worst of the worst. There's kids fucking with prostitutes that on the street and there's like drug addicts and, and weirdos and sex fiends and like motivated politicians and just (laughs) all sorts of shit happening. And it feels genuine throughout the entirety of the movie. Absolutely. There's never a point where I'm pulled out. 
by the uh, by yep. the scenes. It feels very like how did they get that shot? You know, did they did they just film people on the street doing the stuff, or did they actually were those actually actors? And a lot of the time, I had to ask that question. It it felt so immersively real, and it takes you back. I mean, at this point, you know, I mean, it was shot at the time when it was made, but it's a perfect time capsule now, forty years later that you're seeing this movie and this is what the underbelly of New York looked like. Sure. And it feels real. It feels legitimate. Feels like what New York is or definitely used to be where such a big city that there are so many people that fall through the cracks and are just kind of in the, right in the gutters of this massive town and just are part of the scenery. Yeah. As you go through. Yeah. And what happens when you maneuver through that? You know? Yeah. I mean, New York's a much more uh, cleaned up and gentrified place these days. Yeah. So you're you're not going to see that, you know, you're not going to see, you're not going to go on 42nd Street and see all like the porn theaters and the theaters showing like all the, the Grindhouse movies. That's all gone. Which that was a nut that I couldn't crack on the remake was that there had to be something for that beat of the movie of the mm-hmm. porn theater. But how do you... What do you institute instead of the porn theater to be that kind of weird moment of him completely under, misunderstanding how dates work? Right. <laughs> you know, it, because it's even, so true. even at that time, she's like, what are you doing? Like, you don't take a date to a porn theater for a date. You know, this is really fucked up. He's like, no, it's fine. And then <laughs> she's like, in there 12 seconds and like, okay, I'm going to go. This is fucked up. So <laughs> what is out there now that could be used in that same regard? I mean, there's, there's... I don't even know, man. You know, I mean, you can still find those places, but it wasn't prevalent like it was back then. Exactly. So now it would be more like it. You felt like he just ran across these places, you right. know, and that he went into these places because they were available and he saw other people doing it and never really thought that it was not okay in some way. Right. And uh, yeah, you would definitely know, have to know where to go to find these places now. You would. Yeah. Live sex shows and stuff. You know, know. I mean, nowadays it's all just internet at your house. It may not hit as hard, but like a strip club, maybe. Yeah, I guess. Bring her to a strip club. You might have to go to New Jersey for that, though. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know what the New York rules are on strip clubs, though. But uh, I mean, I'm sure they're there, but they're not all over the place. You got to go to the Bada Bing, you know? Yeah, right. (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough. All right, so... Approaching this, are you keeping this uh, as a contemporary film? Are you making it a period piece in the same era as the original? Or um, So my, my two different ideas that I had, um, the one that I'm going to use as my series is going to be contemporary. Okay. Okay. Um, and the other one, I, I, was, I was thinking about setting it like in the 80s or 90s, but it could, it could be contemporary um, as well almost timeless kind of yeah. your approach to it. Yeah. Okay. But you'll, you'll realize why when I get to that. Okay. All right. <laughs> this is tough. Yeah. I mean, not only do I have such reverence for this film, but also just, there are so many things to maneuver around. I mean, you look at the bones of this film, it's a deeply socially awkward, um, possibly PTSD, former military dude. That's well, yeah. I mean, I mean, basically he's a Vietnam vet. Yeah. And he's so very broken. He socially can't... He can't people anymore. He can't people anymore. Yeah, He can't adapt to society. He's also, like... Clearly, insomnia is, like, fucking with him. Oh, absolutely. Significantly. 
Yeah, and like that's why he gets the job as the cab driver. He wants to work long hours because he's not sleeping anyway. So he's trying to exhaust himself right. so he can fucking sleep. And one of the things I really appreciated is that uh, Scorsese was able to set that character, and De Niro was able to portray him without having to use tropes like a bunch of flashbacks and stuff like that. Or him waking up in the middle of the night covered in sweat or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, you know, like, you know, kid sets off fireworks and he has like a breakdown or something. It was unnecessary. The character was set and you got the character within the first few minutes of the sure, movie. Sure, yeah. And then you see his progression and, you know, the fact that he was an army vet. You can tell the the coat he wears, you know. Sure. The You know, the army coat. And there were so many people in that time in American history that came back and they weren't celebrated like, you know, veterans from World War II. Sure. They were spat upon, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, it wasn't a war that had any kind of like national pride to it. You know, it was a it was a fucked up action. You know, that, that, and the way they make mention of his military service is that he's getting a job with the cab company right at the very beginning. Right. So you have dialogue that informs the viewer mm-hmm. about who he is, his background a little bit, but it comes off very natural. It, it comes off and there's no rush to it. No. It's like, uh, we're army oh, mar- or Marines. Oh, me too. And then they just kind of have this pause and they don't get into it. They don't talk about what they saw over there or anything like that. It's more this just kind of known thing between the two. Like, fuck right and that's brilliant <laughs> writing and it's brilliant acting because sometimes the tiniest little detail can tell the bigger story without having to go into exposition absolutely and the fact that you come to know travis bickle over the course of the first you know act of the movie and realize exactly how fucked up he is and and how much he can't actually function in society it's it's amazing performance and amazing writing that's actually what really motivates the rest of the story mm-hmm. because as he has these awkward moments throughout the film as there's that weird awkward date with the i gotta get organized conversation and it's clearly like he yeah. just isn't quite sure mm-hmm. what to do but he went after it in a very direct way which right i mean f- feels kind of baller as shit when he does it when he rolls in he's like no i want to talk to her like I want to, I want to get you coffee and pie. Like, do you want to get coffee and pie with me? And he's just very direct. He's not machismo about it. He's not gross about it at all. It's just, but it's not flirty either. It's just like, you're very pretty. I would like to take you out. Can I take you out, please? And her being just kind of like almost breath of fresh air of just directness. Right. (laughs) And, uh, but then you learn later that that's the, his move. That's it. That's all he's got. Like there's nothing else left. Yeah. Yeah. After that, yeah. You ta- already talked about the porn theater date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where he's already, you know, fucking up. So for my plot, it is going to be contemporary, contemporary on both ends. Uh, both my serious and my, uh, what I'm calling now the remix version. <laughs> and kind of what I want to do is kind of play with the current clim- climate in this country. Sure. With it. And I, I feel like. There's some really like dangerous tightrope walking you got to do with this film with the subject mm-hmm. matter, especially considering the you know the shootings and stuff that have happened in recent years. Oh yeah, and I think there's a way to both alienate both sides of the political spectrum and also endear the the uh, story to both sides. And I want to be able to do both in the appropriate way. That is a challenge. It's very much a challenge, <laughs> and part of it is not 
if you aggrandize a vigilante that's shooting the scum of the earth, that is dangerous propaganda. Right. And just like the character Travis Bickle in the story, it's not that he was inspired by, I don't know, the politician or by the prostitute to become a vigilante and shoot people. It's that he was already fucked up to go. It was just the circumstances that gave him the opportunity or the excuse to do what he already had in his heart to do. Right. So um, I don't want it to be some like aggrandizing vigilantism, but I also don't want it to be like a preachy anti story either right. uh, where guns are bad. I don't want to do that story either. So no. you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to preach and he doesn't need a manifesto. So I think <laughs> the real trick here is to have the two major parts of his life outside of cab driving be at odds with each other and him being that kind of the, the pivot in the middle, trying to find his own place back in society again, after not knowing how to right. fit and, uh, and being kind of at a, at a loss and being kind of pushed and pulled back and forth between the two, the, politician um uh, palantine and uh and betsy who works for palantine being kind of a, a more they were non-denominational with the politician in the movie but this and this circumstance i'm making it more just kind of not by policy but assumed liberal leaning kind of politician right in this regard and on the other side you're going to have the uh the teenage prostitute and her pimp and that it represent kind of like the darker side of society yeah. And Travis will be kind of somebody that spends a lot of time on, on the internet um, and kind of in that kind of incel alt-right approaching, not like full accepting of, but having, you know, feeling completely outcast by society and not finding a place and finding some semblance of acceptance on the internet. And then that going counter to the beliefs of his interest, Betsy. Right. And so I'm trying to like pulling back a little bit on then, but then it being reinforced by the things he sees in the cab. And I think the cab is important that it's not an Uber. It's not Uber, Uber driver. That was the first thing I thought. I was like, this is not an Uber. And I think what it will be is that you make the explanation early on in one of his narrations that he can't afford a car or something along those lines. So he yeah. had to get a job at the cab company and cab companies work, but it's mostly the bottom rung of pe people that want to pay in cash. Cause they don't want to track what they're doing and where they're going. Right. So you get the pimps, you get the drug dealers, you get the, the lower end of society going in these cabs because sure, you know, they don't want to use a card and you have to use a card for Uber. So, and then that, that explains it. You can do that in one fell swoop. So hell yeah. So yeah, it's a push and pull between the two and I'll get more into the story as we get moving forward here. But, uh, for directors, mm -hmm. now, uh, you said yours is going to be contemporary. Are you messing with the plot much at all? Or are you, so no, I'm not. I, okay. I, I think that's holy. You probably don't need to change much. And I'm not even changing very much at all. I'm changing tiny little things here and there to kind of modernize the thing, but the overall story is about the same. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not changing the story. It's a perfect story, period. Um, but uh, I, I, I do think that upon reflection in the last few minutes, uh, my non-super serious choice, which is still pretty serious, uh, would actually be set in the early 90s. Okay. And I have a reason for that. Okay, yeah, and there's... I, this is a tough one. This was a really tough nut to crack on this one. It uh, is. Yeah. It very much is. And I still don't... Uh, there are some choices I made that I just kind of decided to go with it, but it's a kind of we'll-see situation. And, yeah, because you don't want to 
do it injustice. No. You know? <laughs> now, for my director that informs the serious, we'll go down the serious, and then we can hit the, uh, the funnies on, yeah, the, yeah, on yeah. the back end here. And uh, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time, because we got the story, I think, is the biggest important part to talk about, like how you modernize this. Right. You know, the characters will make sense as we go, but for the director, I wanted somebody that understood how to use nuance in a story, um, understood kind of how race relations was going to be a little bit more of an important subject matter in this iteration as it was in the original. Sure. The original was more of like your cast in society was more the conversation. Yeah. And, uh, and that's not really the same as it was back then in our society. No. But race is still a major component in, in this in this society. And so it's, it's been exaggerated, you know, in recent in, in the last time. few years. Yeah. So yeah. so I think that is where really where the story can really take off is making that commentary, but not yeah. heavy handed. Director that I have nothing but absolute respect for for what he's been doing and has been just knocking it out of the park with all the stuff he's been doing. Uh, the director of Creed, Black Panther, and Fruitvale Station, Ryan Coogler hmm. taking the reins. Of, of, nice. of this uh, of this story. So somebody that understands how to tell that story of like, I mean, you look at Black Panther and there's the, you know, well, I'm going to take what what Wakanda has and give it to the uh, and, and use it to take over the world and like, no, we can better <laughs> the world. And like, just how do you and that's the struggle that Travis Bickle has is like, do I try to like become part of society and try to. I don't know, help by like getting this dude to elect a president who might do good for the world, or do I just fucking murder people? You know, please tell me you made Travis Bickle black. I did not. Oh no, and and but there's a good reason for it. Okay, all right. Um, with this and without going into characters, it's because I want there to be a nuance to the to Travis Bickle of of I don't want it to be straight a story of him trying to find a place in society. I want this person to feel like there's a tug of war for his soul. Yeah, sure. between blaming others for kind of his place in the world and it being minorities or, you know, the, the disenfranchised, the drug dealers, that kind of thing, which Bickle does in the original or trying to accept that, you know, that there is a life for him, but he's got to work at it, you know? And so part of the thing is that I did make uh Tom, who's the character that works for Palantine. That's like interested in Betsy. Right. And uh, I made him black. And then I also made Iris Black. Nice. The, the the teenage prostitute. Sure, sure. So in one end, he sees Tom as kind of like a an enemy, <laughs> you know, an right. adversary for the for the heart of, uh, of Betsy. Yeah. So in that he's leaning in on his like kind of racist motivations from you know his time on the message boards or whatever, you know. Nice. But on the other end, he sees that there's this child that's being like abused and taken advantage of. And race doesn't even come into it at that point for him. It's more like protect the fucking kid. Right. Yeah. And so it's that heartstrings of like, what do you believe? Do you believe like the well-being of all children or do you believe that all, all black people are bad? Like which one do you choose? And that's the pull and push. And so I if you it. have, if you have Bickle as a black character, you don't get to have that same story. True. So true. 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 Um, but yeah, I think the, the notes of the, the beats are going to be the same as the original, that's just going to be the underlying kind of nuanced uh, conversation that's being had with the, with the audience during the film. So, so uh, who do you have for your series for director? Yes. I went with uh, Nicholas winding Refn, the guy who did um, drive and neon demon, amazing movies. 
that are such a uh, sort of meditation on uh, the human condition, you know, uh, people that are introverted, uh, people, you know, uh, Neon Demon in its own right was a horrific tale of a young girl that was trying to feel beautiful and be become a model. And I mean, like what he does with his movies are their transformations and they are just poetic. They're beautiful. Music's good. Like everything about them, like hits all those notes of, you know, something that uh, for this story, the story of taxi driver would be told in a contemporary setting. I think he would be a perfect director for it. Okay. I, I dig that a lot. He definitely is an auteur of film. Like he's oh, yeah. going to approach it in a very delicate fashion. He will. He'll shoot it on film and, and he will not uh, stray away from uh, harsh shit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's proof in the pudding. <laughs> well, and that's what I was thinking with Ryan Coogler specifically was Fruitvale Station when thinking about kind of the interactions mm-hmm. between people. Like, I mean, now that I think takes place in San Francisco, I yeah. believe. But it very much has that like, relations of just the population of a crowded city and yeah. how there's a lot of like differences of opinion <laughs> and yeah no shit <laughs> yeah but no I, I like that a lot that's solid um and the the it's gonna be a beautiful film with him shooting it oh absolutely i mean he's gonna shoot it on film because that's what he does it will be gorgeously shot and uh you know like every scene will just have like this thick like fog of atmosphere to it yeah so i i think it will even being set in in today's day it will still feel like a neo-noir throwback okay yeah no i got you i mean drive that's what drive felt like oh for sure yeah Absolutely. absolutely now uh for travis bickle that was a difficult one i went through a lot of different actors before i settled on one and I think a recent smack pitch up this uh, dude has been used. I don't remember if it was from me or I think it was from my guest. Okay. And I don't remember if it was sort of funny or serious, but I'm uh, just now paying attention to this actor and I think he's done really well. And there are two films that I've seen recently from um, that he's been in or properties I've seen him in recently Mm -hmm. that are very different characters that he's played. And I think this would be, I mean, clearly for anyone would be, a lot to take on as Travis Bickle. There's oh, some yeah. real nuance to this character going from awkward and just socially weird to being like dominating vigilante character. It's, so it's a heavy role. Yeah, for sure. But what I've seen from this kid and I did want a younger, I wanted some younger actors. I didn't want to go too old with the character. Yeah. I did want that kind of like youthful, like I don't, I'm still trying to figure out who I am just in life period. And then I was all this other shit on top of that. It just makes it fucking impossible. So yeah. for Travis Bickle, I went with Jack Quaid. If you're un- uh. unfamiliar with Jack Quaid uh, <laughs> from the boys, he plays Huey in the boys. Uh, he was also in a film called plus one where he plays this guy. That's like not really sure if loves a thing and it's like a romantic comedy, but it's actually pretty good for being a romantic <laughs> comedy. Uh, he was also in Logan lucky and uh, Hunger Games Catching Fire. Oh, shit. He was in Logan Luggy? Yeah. Oh, I forgot about him being in that. But then again, I didn't know who he was. At yeah, that nobody time. did at that point. So he's but, he's been doing stuff for a while. It's just just now he's starting to really get a name for himself. Well, he hit big with the boys. The boys, he knocked it out of the fucking park. And it's one of those things, just like Maya Hawk in Stranger Things 3, you can't unsee the parentage behind him. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, he's definitely Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan's kid, but he looks like Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Like, whoa. <laughs> that 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 may be a casting uh, later, but let's get it. So I I love him. I love what I've seen him in. I'm really excited to see him in more stuff. I nice. think he he's got an interesting look about him. Like you said, his parentage it's pretty clear. He's not. It's he's lanky. Um, he's got a little bit of a Michael Shannon uh, like face uh, like facial structure going on yeah, a little yeah, bit, yeah. but um. He's charming. There's a real presence behind him, even when he's playing the awkward dude. Uh, I think that's what I really lean for is that you see, especially in the boys, him going from at the very beginning, awkward and klutzy and not knowing what he's right. doing and, and just like kind of the guy that gets shit on by everybody to becoming kind of a badass in his own right by the end of it, or right. at least understanding his strengths enough. Absolutely. And and that's what should what Travis Bickle should be. Sure. Because Robert De Niro is not a huge imposing dude. No. Okay. And they he, they didn't play him that way in the film either. No, not at all. Like, he didn't gain weight for the role. He didn't buff up. If anything, his later shots when he's, like, putting on the gun holster and he's in the wife beater and he's doing the thing, yeah. you see how scrawny this dude is. Exactly. He's not a big imposing dude at all. No. And, yeah. and that's the point. Yeah. You know, is, is that, you know, anybody with the right will can do something. Yeah. You Whether know? it be a good idea or not, they can do something. <laughs> right. So uh, who do you have for your Travis Bickle? Uh, for my serious, uh, my Travis Bickle, I actually went with Shia LaBeouf. Wow. Okay. And a lot of people, you know, criticize him for, you know, I mean, he was in Transformers, whatever. But that boy, he's fucked up. And he has serious acting chops. Agreed. If you look at him in Lawless, uh, if you look Lawless, at him, Fury, uh, and actually that was the the director of Lawless, uh, who also did Proposition, was one of the yeah. other directors that were on the short list for me for Serious. Yes, absolutely, John Hillcoat. Yeah, Hillcoat. Yeah, yeah, he's fucking amazing. Um, yeah, no, he was outstanding. He was even really damn good in the very controversial uh, Nymphomania by <laughs> Lars von Trier. Yeah, but that guy. He's a weird dude. He's he's kind of like off on cloud nine as far as like celebrities go, but he can act and he can bring like his his uh, you know role in American Honey was outstanding. Um, he can act and he can act really fucking well. And you know even if he's a little bit eccentric, out, uh, yeah, out, outside, yeah. So it goes, but when he's not going as bad as a dude in Suicide Squad, um, Jared Leto, Jared Leto, yeah, <laughs> right. No, but he can definitely bring the performances. He he can he has brought me to tears with several performances that he's done, and good on him. Oh shit, good on him for that. And I actually did cast him as well, just not in that role. Um, <laughs> and for my remix version, so. <laughs> Yay. So yeah, that, I think that's the first time for a SmackDown pitch-up that Shia has been cast by both panelists on the show. Nice. So. No, I, I, you know, in a lot of ways, I don't want to say I'm an apologist for him because I, I don't think anybody should apologize for their art. Yeah. Because, you know, outside of his art, yeah, maybe he's a little weird dude. You know, he's a little bit off kilter. But when he gets down to acting, he does it and he commits and he commits hard fair 
and I've enjoyed a lot of his roles. Fair enough. I mean, I can't, I can't argue that. And he's, he's young enough, like in a contemporary setting that he would be, it would be perfect that he would be someone distraught with PTSD from Afghanistan tours or something like that. It's perfect. Okay. Now with, uh, the next one I have is Iris, which was oh yeah challenging to say the least because it definitely is you want a, a younger actress for sure mm-hmm. but you also want an actress that has the chops to be able to play well, i mean a teenage prostitute that deals with a lot more shit than a child that age should have to deal with absolutely and i wanted to go with an act- african-american actress for this uh just to really kind of drive home without ma- having to make it part of the conversation even really i wanted to be kind of an a statement in the scene not spoken aloud necessarily right and uh, so I, I dug around and I, I was thinking about the last time that I've seen like a young African-American actress just fucking kill it. That's of the right age group. And there were two. One is way too young. I, I, I would I, I have one that I could write down and I would maybe win this bet. I don't The one that I was thinking at first, but just too young. It's too young for me to feel comfortable casting was the uh, sister in Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. No way. That's, that's, that's way, way too, way too young. young. That's uh, does your choice have one name? No, are you thinking Zendaya? Yeah. I was thinking about Zendaya. Oh. <laughs> um, but I think she's just her look, she can look a little bit too mature and I'm sure in as far as yeah. costuming and stuff, you can kind of play that back a little bit, but I I've also cast her in a few things now. And I don't want to necessarily keep leaning on the same folks. There's a slightly lesser known actress that I I've, I've seen in a film recently that she just blew me away and looks young. And yeah. she, I think she's like 16 or 17, but she could definitely play younger. Um, the actress is Eden Duncan Smith. She was recently in a great sci-fi flick from Netflix called See You Yesterday. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's about a, this like super intelligent like young lady that is just lives in kind of like a lower end community um, and develops time traveling. And her brother gets shot by the cops. And the time traveling only is able to go back like a week. So she has like three days basically to travel back in time and try to prevent the time, the shooting from happening. And she only has a limited number of jumps she can make. So she keeps fucking up because you can't really for sure know how to do that. And it's her and her friend trying to go back in time and save her brother. And it's fucking intense. Like it's a really intense film. And I'm going to blame Netflix and not my own inability to keep keep, (laughs) keep track of things. Netflix, you have too much shit coming out. <laughs> There's awesome stuff that I'm obviously missing, and it's your fault. I deeply enjoyed See You Yesterday. And uh, I, there was a big producer, or a big name of that was producing it. I want to say Spike Lee, but I'm not sure if that was it or not. But, like, it was it was pushed out. like it, And for good reason. It was started as a short film and then uh, became a full feature. She was also Annie. In the Annie remake with Jamie Foxx. Oh my God. <laughs> from like 2012 or something. So she was a little bit younger then. So she's older than I think Jodie Foster was at the time, but only by maybe a year or two. So she can play it a little younger. I, I think she's got the gravitas to be able to pull that off. So I, I, would, m- I might be watching that movie later tonight. It's a great film. It's It's got really like genuinely like adorable moments, but it's overall a pretty fucking intense movie. It sounds like it. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm down. Yeah, it's it's a super good film. I thoroughly suggest it. So that's my uh, my Iris. Who do you have for your serious? Uh, my serious Iris, I went with Elle Fanning. Okay, not a bad choice at all. Now, she is, I do believe, 21 right now. But she, but she looks... also looks like she's four. 
So well, yeah, I, well, I mean, you, you know what I mean. Like she, yeah, yeah. She looks like she's fifteen. She is one of those actresses that can play younger, and nobody would be the wiser. And her performance in Neon Demon, which obviously connected to the director I chose, was so outstanding. It just, it felt right. Fair enough. Yeah, and and her acting chops are fucking solid. Well, she's got, I mean, a list of movies. I mean, this is a working actress. She's been in a oh, lot yeah. of stuff. So, no, no, I mean, she, no end of, of references to her ability to be able to kill it. So, yeah, I like that. I I like Elle Fanning. I, I think more so than her sister, <laughs> I think. Yeah, no, I think, you know, I mean, Dakota Fanning had some great, sure, great performances early on. And I don't think she quite transitioned well so much out of child acting into you know where she's at now that said maybe she does you know who knows i mean she she was great when she was little and maybe she'll be better going forward and but. i mean you see that plenty of times with child actors they take some time out of the limelight and then come back stronger and better than ever so yeah true all right next one i have up is betsy okay um uh, for betsy you want, um, for for my Ryan Coogler role, uh, I wanted somebody that's, you know, definitely attractive, but kind of that, like, can talk shit with the best of them, you know, can hold her own yes. as, as a strong, you know, yep. not necessarily, like, physically powerful, but definitely, like, intelligent, whip smart, you know, like... Able switched to, on. Yeah, switched the fuck on, yeah. Yeah. And this is an actress that I've seen in a couple films lately, and I'm dying to see her in The Art of Self-Defense which is uh, looks to be a super fun movie. I'm really looking forward to that. Also was the uh, skinhead girl in Green Room, and she was the older sister in a great Bridge to Terabithia-esque movie called I Kill Giants that's currently on Hulu. Ooh. It's, uh, that's a fucking depressing movie as well. Like That's that high fantasy meets real life kind of Bridge to Terabithia-ish movie. It's, it's fucked up. And uh, it's Imogen Poots is the name of the actress. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know her. Yeah, she's been in a bunch of other stuff, but her main roles of note are uh, Green Room and I Kill Giants and now The Art of Self-Defense. There's another big movie she's coming out in uh, the near future as well, I believe. Great actress. Quirky looking. I wanted somebody that was like realistically attractive, not like the, oh, look, a gorgeous model that's like trying to get this guy elected president. I wanted somebody that's like stunning, but in a very down-to-earth, kind of quirky, fun, intelligent right. woman way, you know, like not runway model. Right, yeah. Yeah. She could totally be like, you know, volunteering for Bernie Sanders. Sure, yeah, oh yeah. You could <laughs> see her with an I'm with Bernie sticker on the back of her uh, fucking Volkswagen <laughs> Beetle, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, who do you have for your Betsy? Uh, I went with Kirsten Dunst. Okay. Because she has big range. She's done... Uh, in you know, action movies. She was Mary Jane and Spider Man. You know, uh, she's done uh, you know, romantic comedies, but she can also bring like a maturity and a level of like drama. Uh, probably one of my favorite roles she's ever done was Melancholia, uh, Lars von Trier. That yeah, she which, was good in that, which was an amazing study on on depression amidst an apocalyptic event, but. I really like her. I think she's underplayed a lot. Uh, she doesn't get like a lot of the big roles anymore, but I, I, I feel like she has a natural beauty to her and uh, she would be about the right age. I, she's probably about six, eight years older than Shia LaBeouf, but it'd be fine. 
you know, and well, I got the feeling from Taxi Driver that she was older than Travis Bickle because Travis was like 26, I think he said at one point in the film. I think so. 26 or 27. Yeah. So, and she definitely looked older than 26 or not, not by more than a few years, but yeah, you maybe, can have a little bit of an age gap. That's not yeah, a big maybe deal. Maybe just a little mature, but I, I, I love her acting style and I think that she, I mean, she can definitely pull off like witty, you know, sort of like fast talking, like, you know, smart as a whip sort of characters. It's it's hard for me to say if I just am not a big Kirsten Dunst fan or if it was that turning Japanese music video that she did that just turned me off to her completely because <laughs> it was so jarringly bad. I mean, it's it's really bad and like so bad to the point where it's almost borderline racist. Like it's well, yeah, <laughs> it's I mean, you know, people you you can't, you know, hold people to their like their individual geek loves they have obviously she wanted to make like a a japanese like yeah, pop her, video her doing turning japanese the best part though is all the like all the japanese folks around because she's in like tokyo yeah. are looking at her like what the fuck are you doing they are not in on this at all no they're like what are you doing blondie like what is happening right now just completely confused over the situation and she's dancing around dressed like an anime character yeah it's it's, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, you should check it out just to have your jaw drop a little bit on just what the fuck am I watching? But again, like like Shia LaBeouf, you know, the things done outside of their <laughs> acting career should not be held accountable to to their actual. So your taxi driver is the wayward, uh, the home for wayward stars, I guess, uh, for movie stars. Yeah, let me check the list. <laughs> Probably, uh, maybe a little yeah, bit, maybe a yeah. little bit. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm really excited about Tom, who I have for my series. Uh, I was absolutely fucking blown away by this actor in, uh, in a couple things. I didn't realize, actually, that it was the same actor until I went and looked, looked through. Uh, you've seen him in Atlanta. He was also in Get Out as the guy that says Get Out in that film. <laughs> and also the main character in Sorry to Bother You. Oh, yes. And that movie just, I was floored by that movie. It was so fucking good. Sorry to Bother You was so underrated. It was such a fucking... And it went so hard hard to, like, out of... I had no clue that it was going that direction at any point. That was like punk rock, hip-hop, perfect movie. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. It was so good. And, yeah. And uh, the, the main actor in that film was uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Yes. And this, I, I, I want to throw him in everything because this dude needs to get all the work ever because I, I deeply loved him in that film. Uh, oh, he yeah. had total presence. Mm-hmm. Absolutely was able to play a combination of being real, like a real character that was, um, was struggling with having to play a different way on the phone, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but there was, there was an overall like genuine blackness to the character in oh, the yeah. role. That I think in, like I'm saying, saying it without saying it in the film, him being the adversarial type against Travis being a <laughs> clearly, you know, like comfortably black <laughs> character right, would be kind of seen as a nemesis. And then it's, is he a nemesis because he also likes Betsy or is he nemesis because of his, of his heritage? So right. which way do you go? And so that, that, I think he would be a very perfect casting for that so that you don't have to make that commentary at all. You do it in subtle gestures. You do it in, in almost the same dialogue as the original. And just the way they, they play at each other, it says everything. Right. You and, and he can portray uh, 
especially if he's like connected to Bexy through the fucking campaign or whatever. Sure. You know, he can, he can portray that very sort of like well-spoken individual that in a sense would even be more intimidating to someone who might be, uh, you know, intimidated by like, you know, racial divides or something like that. Well, and I was thinking that as well as that, you know, why does he get like the nice suits and the, you know, the, the, your coworkers exactly. and unlimited coffee, you know, all this stuff. And he's hanging out in a diner at four o'clock in the morning with Peter Boyle, you know, like, exactly. <laughs> why, what, why is it like this? Yeah. And then that whole, the jealousy aspect, which is absolutely huge in any kind of, of the stuff we're dealing with in modern society. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that's my, my Tom. Who, who do you have for your Tom? So I actually didn't cast a Tom. Okay. And for either movie. Was it was it Albert Brooks in the yeah yeah it was, in the, Al, it, it was Albert one. Brooks yeah. yeah yeah okay so you don't have a Tom I don't have a Tom but I'm sure you have a Matthew or Sport I got Sport the pimp the pimp the pimp goddamn Those right played by uh, uh, Harvey Keitel Harvey Keitel yeah, yeah. The original yeah yeah in one of the most awkward scenes of that movie where he, where he says like see you later officer and then Travis turns around and stares him down for like a solid minute. Right. And Ivory Cadell's like, oh, funny guy. We got a funny guy here. And then makes another joke. And then it's just this really deeply awkward, like, is he going to fucking shoot him right now? Basically. <laughs> it, it's, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. So, um, I mean, and they, they, they came off Mean Streets like two years prior, I think. Sure. Making this movie. And so obviously they had worked together and it was a brilliant like interaction. There's something so iconic about the hat and everything that Sport is wearing that I wanted to kind of keep the look similar, but I don't know, just like a white dude wearing that just doesn't really seem to, I was thinking in modern day in modern day. Yeah. 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 So I was thinking who would be able to pull that off and I just let my mind wander a little bit and I decided to go with David Zayas who played Angel in Dexter. Oh my God. Yeah. A Puerto Rican man that could definitely pull off, which was clearly a Puerto Rican outfit that, that he was wearing right, right, in, uh, right. in the original taxi driver. So like then cast a Puerto Rican dude to wear, <laughs> wear the clearly Puerto Rican clothing. Well, and I uh, mean, you could have cast Lin-Manuel Miranda. True. Yeah. But I don't see him being a pimp really. Like, I don't he <laughs> No, He's way too nice. He's looking. way too he'd be like, have a nice day officer. No, I mean, genuinely, if you are an officer or not, have a nice day, you know, just too nice. Can I sing you a song? <laughs> Can I sing you a song? <laughs> Let me rap you a song. Oh my God. <laughs> One of us should have done this as a musical taxi driver, the uh-huh. musical. Uh, you might get locked out of the house if you did that possibly. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I might not. I would lock myself out of the house. <laughs> so for my uh, my Matthew, yeah, is David Zayas. Uh, Dexter, he was in Skyline, Blue Bloods. He was also in uh, Deadly Class, which is a new, uh, or not new, it's a series on sci-fi that has some superhero stuff based on a comic book. Okay. But he's in there. So uh, who do you have for sport? Um, I actually went with Paul Giamatti. Okay. Okay. Uh, I I went a little bit older to increase a little bit of the um, you well, yeah <laughs> the you factor. factor yeah. One of the things about you know taking it out of the seventies where it was originally shot, or you know when it was set, is that now yeah you're right there isn't a forty second street anymore there there isn't there there aren't just like avenues and avenues of New York New York that are just like 
scum city, you know? Yeah. So I wanted to make it a little bit more modern, but also keep the creep factor sure. in play. So I love Paul Giamatti sure. as an actor. I mean, he, again, another character actor that can do no wrong in my book. Um, and I just thought the fact of, you know, him being the pimp with someone who looks 15 and that motherfucker's like, Oh, that like, is gross. That motherfucker's like getting on near 60. Yeah. He's in his fifties. I, I imagine at this point that's uh, that oof factor is firmly planted. Oh there. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so yes. All right. And I mean, he's got acting chops for, I mean, nobody's going to question his acting chops there. Oh, absolutely. For Palantine is, is the last person that I cast. Yes. And I decided to go with a gender swap here. Okay. Because we're doing kind of a liberal-leaning presidential campaign. I wanted kind of a lot of the stuff that he's listening to is more of that kind of like alt-righty kind of thing. So I wanted something that kind of embodied the the current like climate of sure. the liberal side. Sure. So I wanted somebody that was like strong power suit type woman uh-huh. to be yeah. in the role. And I thought none better than Diane Lane oh, as, yeah. as a Charlene Palantine or goes by Charlie. Uh, Charlie Palantine. Sure, but, sure. But it's Diane Lane who I I can see that I she's been in everything. So I just three movies that I decided to mention that she was in are ones that maybe not known for necessarily Streets of Fire. Yeah. Uh, Judge Dread. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and Jumper. Jumper. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Is <laughs> right? that? Wait, was that the one with Hayden yep, Christensen? Hayden Christensen that he get he has the Nightcrawler powers from X Men. Yeah. Yeah. She was in that movie Unfaithful. Yes. And she was good in that. Yeah, she was. But uh, no, I, I, I could see that. I could see yeah, that. Yeah, as a you know, strong, powerful, political, like presidential hopeful woman. I almost want to say, maybe I'm misremembering, did she not play a politician in a movie? It's very possible. Her, she's got a list of movies that is... Yeah, her resume is long. Intimidating, yes. Yeah. <laughs> she's been in a lot of shit, so... Yeah. I didn't I didn't dig through every single line of her uh resume, but it's it's likely, honestly, at this point that she's played a politician somewhere. Yes. So uh, that's my Palantine. Who do you got for yours? So my Charles Palantine, uh I also went the road of the boys. Okay. And I cast Anthony Starr. Who played my favorite character in that in that series? Homelander. Who was Homelander. Oh my god, he was so amazingly creepy. He was basically Patrick Bateman with Superman. Powers. Yes, <laughs> which is terrifying. Which is fucking, fucking terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah, he was so goddamn good in that show. And all I could think was, yes, he is going to be a democratic, pr- progressive leaning candidate. With the fucking look from his eyes that he is just playing these motherfuckers. Sure. And that's one of the things that, you know, uh, Kirsten Dunst being his campaign worker is totally sold on his bullshit. Sure. And Shia LaBeouf's, you know, disgruntled, very, you know, uh, you know pessimistic character as Travis, Travis Bickle sees him for what he is. Like he sees his, like the look behind his eyes as he has a speech or something like that. Sure. And obviously he can pull that off because he did that so beautifully with Homelander. Oh, for sure. That character 
fucking absolutely like cemented my adoration for that show. The boys. Oh, knocked it out of the park. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Oh, it's fucking in- incredible. Watch that show. He is the greatest. Like he's 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 a combination of what Superman and 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 uh, you know Captain America. Basically, mostly Superman. I mean, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, he's he's the American hero. Yeah, he's basically like the two put together, and he's such a fucking awesome psychopath. Oh, he's an incredible psychopath. <laughs> so good. The show's so good that both of us chose actors from the series to play major roles in this. So it's it's in the forefront of my brain, man. Oh, yeah. I can't help it. No, I get it completely. That damn shit was so goddamn good. So now it's time for us to go on to our funny, and and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this. We are running a little long, as so, per usual. So very briefly, I did cast a wi- wizard who was Peter Boyle's character. Oh right, and there is a very important scene there where they're talking about how do you right. deal with like, and you know he was kind of funny, and it added a little bit of levity, but it's still you know it's set in a dark time. It's still a dark character. So for my serious, I did I cast Bill Hader. Ooh, okay. Can do, obviously we know, can do serious and funny with Barry. Have you watched Barry? Oh, yes, I've watched Barry. It's fucking incredible. Okay. Well, I'm, now I'm not fully caught up, but I've seen enough where I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I get what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, so you know. Yes. Yes. Uh, Bill Hader is perfect for that. You know, he can, he, he is so good at playing a, you know, a supporting role, a character actor role, and he has been added to that beautiful list of comedians that can play serious so fucking well. Well, and that's happened a number of times where you have a comedic actor or comedian, a stand-up comedian that ends up taking serious roles uh, and destroys it because they say the hardest thing to do is comedy. So if you can do comedy, you can pretty much do anything else. Absolutely. And I mean, I mean, obviously freaking Jim Carrey and I mean, I mean, there's so many, Uh, I mean, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. I just saw for the first time I had never seen World's Greatest Dad until the other night. I still haven't seen that. Holy shit, dude. It is a deeply uncomfortable movie. <laughs> I believe it. And he, he, I mean, Robin Williams kills it. Like, he's incredible. Of course. In it. But it's directed by uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. Yes. Who did uh, Shakes the Clown and, um, let's see, a few other ones that are. Oh, that. Oh, mo- God Bless America. God Bless America, that movie that we screened one time. Yes, with that one beautiful movie. Beautiful Disasters. But that was awesome. Also, the one about the, the woman that let the dog go down on her. Um, uh. Sleeping Dogs Lie. I think that's what it's called. <laughs> It's, uh, that one's fucking bizarre, but yeah, it's Bobcat Goldthwait. He's a dark dude. And, uh, yeah, world's greatest dad does not uh, disappoint in that regard. So, Indeed. all right. So, uh, shall we just kind of run through yeah, our yeah. less if, than if you want to kind of just run through yours and then I'll run through mine. We'll yeah. Do it that I can way. Do that. Cool. So I was trying to think of, you know, something other than my preferred serious to go with and I I kept thinking of, you know, French movies, weirdly. Okay. And and then I was thinking of, like, Killing Zoe and that, like, you know, that early 90s period. So I went with, for director, I went with Luc Besson. Okay. When he was in his prime, because he hasn't made anything good in a long time. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, in that, in that sense, um, so my French, Travis Bickle... Vincent Cassell, who was oh yeah irreversible, uh, Eastern Promises. He was like Viggo Mortensen's buddy, 
and he had one probably his crowning achievement role. Uh, he did a two part movie called Mezrine, where he plays a, a you know, like a French gangster that is brutal as fuck. Nice, watch it. It's amazing. Um, my Iris, which was the hardest thing to cast. It, either funny or serious, the remix or the regular, it just, yeah. Because I'm going all French cast here. This is a French movie. So you're looking not just for like a young female actress that has the chops, but also a young French female actress. Right. Okay. So I did find one. Okay. <laughs> and her name is, let me pronounce this correctly. I'm so excited right now. Melusine Mayonance or something like that. I don't know. Sounds like you're she, you're trying to like she cast was, a spell. She was in a Mads Mickelson movie uh called The Age of Uprising. Um she's young, she looks innocent, but she can act, she can hold her own. Okay. She's Iris. Uh for sport, the pimp. I went with an, again an older character actor Jean Renault from Leon the Professional. Okay. Okay. Uh, he's amazing. Uh, he can be funny and goofy, but he can also be terror, terrifying. Intimidating, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, also the age difference again. I went with that. That's creepy as fuck. Mm -hmm. Uh, for Betsy, I went with Monica Bellucci. She is married to Vincent Cassell. Well, there we go. They were both in Irreversible together. She's gorgeous. She's smart. I love her. (laughs) There's that. Um, <clears throat> for Wizard, um, his taxi driving buddy, I went with Isaac, uh, de Bancoli. Um, he is a French African actor that you might remember from Ghost Dog. He was, uh, Ghost Dog's best friend who was the ice cream guy. Oh, uh, okay. And okay. he was also in another, uh, Jim Jarmusch movie. Uh, he was in one of the portions of, um, uh, coffee, coffee and cigarettes. And cigarettes? Yeah, yeah, I think I know which one you're talking about too. Yeah, he, he has a very distinctive face. Um, I could see him driving a taxi, just like Vincent Cassell. Fair enough. And then for um, Charles Palantine, the uh, uh, the presidential hopeful, the politician, uh, I went with Gerard Depardieu. Uh, Gerard Depardieu, who has. The nose the n- of all noses. <laughs> the Frenchiest of noses. But uh, yeah, that's basically my run for the non-super serious. The uh, super French. It was basically like to be set in the 90s a la like. Le Hill- taxi driver. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, exactly. That's what I wrote. <laughs> Le taxi driver. <laughs> driver. Yeah, but I, th- I think it will work well. That particular time in France was kind of like the late seventies, early eighties, where they had big drug problems. There was a lot of crime. There was a lot of muggings and stuff like that. So like the early nineties was kind of like, you know, what New York was going through. Oh, okay. So you, it's just kind of a similar tone, but a different era. Yeah. So I could see that. Okay. Yeah. For mine, uh, I wanted to do kind of a study on if you took the gloves off and you just had producers that had the rights to this and said, well, we know if we do a remake of this, people are going to show up to see it. So we don't know how to actually cast. We're just going to take this property that's recognizable and just throw some money at it. Oh, and, no. and like in a studio director that's done a bunch of stuff for us before and just make it's an action film, right? Do it like an action film. Oh, God. And so 
I got uh, Rob Cohen as the director. If you're unfamiliar, he is the man behind, well, Dragonheart, which I love. But he also did the first Fast and the Furious movie, Stealth, Triple X, and most recently, Hurricane Heist. Fuck you. (laughs) It's a terrible idea. I had such a good idea. And I was just as flippant with my choices for for actors to be in this. So Rob uh, Rob Cohen joint. So everything is going to be like that quick cut, um, really zany one-liner kind of stuff between characters. So you don't actually have to have character development. Everyone has like a hat or some sort of like a limp or something so that you don't have to have actual personalities. You just have like a thing they do. That makes like one probably has a pet bird, you know, just something like that. If you have Scott Speedman in this, no, I'm going to jump over not. this fucking table. And but I do have, for Travis Bickle, the lesser Franco, Dave Franco will be playing Travis Bickle. <sighs> and I do like Dave Franco a lot. He That's, can kind of act. He, uh, yeah, he was he incredible in Disaster Artist. I loved him in Disaster yeah. Artist. But uh, he's he's mostly known as a comedic actor, but yeah. I, I can absolutely see him doing some, some more seri- serious stuff. This one he would possibly take because, well, fuck, I want to play Travis Bickle. Like, it's an iconic role. And then realizing what he got himself into, but he's now, by contract, like, oh, you're not doing this seriously at all. Right. I'm fucked. <laughs> yeah, and because his brother is taking all the William S. Burroughs roles. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> then for Iris, again, young actress is kind of difficult. Now, this is a little bit older um, than I was initially going for, but she can play very innocent. Um, and Innocent and damaged, which is kind of to a degree what the character calls for is Sophia Lillis, who uh, was in It Part One. Oh, okay. And uh, she was also in a Nancy Drew in The Hidden Staircase, which I have not seen, but she was fantastic okay. in It. Like, she ki- she killed it in It. I was yeah. very impressed. Um, And just uh, the way her look, she comes off as very, like, innocent and broken. Like, If, in if that- you had asked me to guess, I would have been, like, Chloe Grace Moretz. She's she's aged out at this point, I think. She's taking more adult roles. She's too old. She's too old. She's aged out of being the teenage prostitute. Oh, she darn. She still looks young, though. Oh, yeah. No, true. For Betsy, mm-hmm. I went with uh, Nathalie Emmanuel, who was in Fast and the Furious 7 and Fate of the Furious. In Fast 7 and, and Fate, she was the, like, IT hacker lady that a ludicrous was, like, all about. Okay. That I don't think I had any interest in Ludacris, but yeah, gorgeous, stunning. Okay. Um, but still sassy, sassy okay. and intelligent. And you know, that's, that's the role, but could actually do some serious action stuff too. So nice, nice, nice. Then for Tom, uh, that's where Shia comes into play as the like neurotic, you know, <laughs> Albert Brooks character with the curly hair. Um, that's which he could do. He could absolutely do. He, he's does the like son of Vince Vaughn role very well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, then for Matthew or the sport, the the pimp, that's where buddy from the movie Neighbors, uh, Zach Efron as the uh, the pimp in the hat. Ooh. <laughs> Young pimp. Young pimp. But he's strong. He's big. He's, yeah. And, but well, he's short, which would be kind of the fun part of it is that like a short pimp that like, don't fuck with him because he will fuck you up, but he's not tall. Not, yeah. that, not that Hybrid Cartel is exactly tall, but... No, no, no. I feel you. Yeah. And then uh, Charles Palantine, for this one, I decided to go with uh, Jack Quaid's dad for the president, Dennis Quaid, as the action version of Taxi Driver uh, yeah. presidential hopeful. No, so, no. I feel you. Yeah. yeah. 
Which he could have a lot of fun in that role with him being like, oh, yeah, this is a paycheck. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> At least they're not in the same movie. No, 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 no. You, you crossed the two different. I did. Yeah, I, uh, okay. I I took him into different films. But uh, yeah, so that's my just like, fuck it, let's make money. And then just make everybody that loved the original deeply fucking hate the sequel or the remake, which that's the trick in Hollywood is you make sure that the fanboys of the thing are happy about the new thing. Right. You know? And there's so many people that don't do that in Hollywood. Like, you don't have to make a carbon copy because we saw that with Psycho. Oh, um, God. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily work, but you need to at least have a reverence for the original. And Haitia's butthole. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. At this point, we talk about things that we can mash up with Taxi Driver. Oh, my God. I was thinking that if you did, like, it as a TV series, you could tie it in with Taxi. And then it's just like all of his characters, those cabbies that he works with, like the Peter Boyles and stuff, mixed with him as this like vigilante killer that works in the taxi place. That's true. Then you have Jim Carrey can reprise his role as Andy Kaufman. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The only thing I could think of for a mashup would be to set this in a totally different genre. And the first thing I thought was a dark semi dystopian, like genre of sci-fi and set it in the firefly universe where it's not a big ship like like the like the Firefly. Yeah. It's literally a shuttle transport. Yeah, like a shuttle runner. And going between, you know, between some of the like the uh the alliance worlds and then off to the home worlds and like like all the shit that goes on in like the seedy like uh uh like Chinese like you know, accentu- oh. accentuated like starports and shit. Right, yeah, yeah. It, it just seemed like something like you could bring the neo-noir to that. You know what watch I mean? Watch the scum washed all away. Yeah. Just bring a flood and wash all because the scum away. Because there's an underlying darkness to to the entire world of Firefly. Sure, yeah. And that was my first thought, is that, you know, yeah, this is some guy who's fucked up. Maybe he fought. It didn't even matter what side he fought for. Either sure. way, he's probably fucked up. Fair enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I dig that. I like, yeah. well, any, anything that will get more Firefly universe shit on, on TV or on the big screen. You hear that, Joss Whedon? Firefly taxi driver. Let's do this. <laughs> Firefly driver. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll sell my idea for 10 bucks. $10. 10 crisp American dollars. <laughs> um, that's, that's really all I had for mashup. I was thinking about yeah. the, uh, the movie taxi with, uh, with Queen Latifah and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who was the other one? Was it Sandra Bullock? No, it was Queen Latifah and uh, what's his face? Uh, uh, oh, oh, Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy the, Fallon. Yeah, the, the lesserest of the night hosts, right? Now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The that most, one. the most vanilla of the late night. Hosts. Deeply vanilla. Yeah. Yeah. He found out that the thing that he does that's funny is literally laughing. So. Um, yeah, he the, just laughs a lot. Yeah, he's nice. Yeah, he's nice. <laughs> I guess. So at this point. That is our uh, terrible ideas for yeah. uh, for a taxi driver, and uh, from here we're gonna get into our trailers. And uh, I think uh, I'm gonna do my because I don't want to really like I have soft reference for the film. I feel even like my you shouldn't do it real version. I'm gonna do my funny version just because fuck it. Um, I you know I'm I'm gonna do my serious version, but it's it's not gonna be in the same format I've done the the rest of them. It's gonna have to be a little different. Okay, all right. Let's get the music queued up. 
Coming this summer, a new vision of a cinematic classic. In the year 2019, we look at a film like Taxi Driver and say, fuck nuance. We're going balls deep. Rob Cohen, director of Hurricane Heist, Triple X, and Fast and the Furious brings you a non-stop trip through the streets of New York. Travis Bickle is a veteran with an axe to grind. Sees the dirt on the streets and needs to make it washed all the way. Getting in the way is Betsy. An innocent that doesn't know any better. She will try to keep him from fulfilling his destiny. And as she tries to get Charles Palantine, played by Dennis Quaid, elected, the Travis Bickle, played by Dave Franco, will not have any of that shit. He tells Betsy, played by Nathalie Emmanuel, to hit the kids, because he's got to save Iris, a teenage prostitute that needs to be, needs to be saved. And that's Sophia Lillis from It's Part One. He'll go toe-to-toe with Sport, her pimp, played by High School Musical Zac Efron. In a fight to the death, two men enter, one man kills. This is Taxi Driver's Retribution. So yeah, that's that's how you don't do that movie. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh my god. So yeah, that's you've got to you've got to go against that. So I hope you're prepared. Yeah, yeah, I'll do, I'll do the best I can. So yeah, I did my silly. You're doing your your serious take, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's get the music queued up. All right. The new masterpiece from Nicholas Winding Refn. A new vision of Taxi Driver. Travis Bickle, a loner, a veteran, troubled man, played by Shia LaBeouf, is infatuated with a beautiful woman working for a presidential candidate Kirsten Dunst plays Betsy. Her candidate is Charles Palantine, played by Anthony Starr. Meanwhile, in the deep, terrible, seedy version of New York in the current day, a, a young girl has been taken into prostitution. Elle Fanning plays Iris. Paul Giamatti is her pimp. A gross old man. In this new vision of Taxi Driver, you will see all the things that you must see. Enjoy the dark noir fable. 
right. Scorsese, eat your fucking heart out. <laughs> Clearly, oh. we know more about film than you do. Uh, we've got two better versions of Taxi Driver here uh, ready for your consumption. I, I, I can't say that. <laughs> I, can't, I can't honestly no, say that by no, any stretch of the imagination. No. Uh, those were definitely versions of Taxi Driver. <laughs> but that's Indeed. about all I can say about it. If uh, you have an idea for who you would cast or uh, who you would have direct a reboot or remake of Taxi Driver, shoot us a line at geeksontheinfluence at gmail.com. That's our main email address. Um, if you want to join the conversation on our social media, we've got Smack My Pitch Up on Facebook or hit up uh, the Geeks Under the Influence Twitter, uh, GUI Podcast RVA, uh, or hit our hotline at 804-505-4484. That's 804-505-4GUI. Leave a voicemail or a text. Let us know what you think about this episode or what you want to see on a future Smack My Pitch Up. Or if you have an idea on how we should be put to death for actually approaching this property. Now, if you're going to give us death threats and you don't actually mean it, just say, like, just laugh during and we'll just take that as a not real death threat. True. Uh, exactly. Yeah. We'd rather not uh, <laughs> get real death threats if possible. We this understand is, that we're that we're doing sacrilege here. We're aware. We're not exactly. all for fun. Just for fun. But, you know, in all truth, we love this movie. Deeply. It's outstanding. Watch it. Enjoy it. It should not be remade. And also tell us, uh, once Joker comes out, tell us what you think about that as well. We're all Scorsese fans here, and we're very interested to see right. what the eight-minute ovation, standing ovation, was uh, all about. I'm, I'm very interested because not only is that very taxi driver-esque, but also uh, the king of comedy is very, oh, apparently is very, much. very much. I mean... They got Robert De Niro to come back. Absolutely. And I feel like this is going to be something really special. Yes, I'm very excited to check that out. I'm also excited to see what we're doing with Smack My Pitch Up in the coming months because it is getting to spooky time. It's getting close to the Halloween season. Oh, yeah. So we're going to be getting into the creepier and the more macabre stuff here on Smack My Pitch Up, along with stuff on Geeks Under the Influence and all the other shows on the network. I know Beautiful Disaster is probably getting... Oh, we got some stuff planned. Yeah, some stuff creeping. Yeah, no, we got we got a couple episodes coming out here soon, but uh, we're definitely going to be uh, rocking, uh, you know, October pretty hard. Now, uh, you guys just recorded an episode recently. Uh, what was the film that you guys looked at? Uh, we did a crazy Korean film called Save the Green Earth, which... I could talk about... I've seen the trailer for that. You have. I have, yes. yeah. That movie is bonkers beyond belief. Uh, it really astonished me. Okay. I don't know what to say. Listen to the episode. You'll see what we're talking about. But yeah, we definitely got some great stuff planned for October. Cool. So definitely check out Beautiful Disasters. They have a Facebook page. You can also find their links to their stuff at gypodcast.com. Click on the Beautiful Disasters link right there on the homepage to get yes. links to all their stuff. We've got nine podcasts on the network, so take a look. See what you want to listen to. We got a date for our next Booze Clues. Yes. Doing. And uh, this is actually the first time that we're making any mention of it on uh, any of our podcasts. It will be the 13th of October, which is a Sunday. And it's not just Booze Clues. We are doing the Geeks Under the Influence Potoween. We're doing a Smack My Pitch Up and a Booze Clues live at the Dark Room. The Doors Are at Six show starts at 7, um, and that'll be Smack My Pitch Up, followed by a very brief break, and then a all-Florida man Booze Clues <laughs> for Halloween, including costuming by the participants, the investigators, all dressed up like their version of Florida Man. So it's going to be 
a shit ton of fun. A uh, Florida hurricane of of silliness. Um, <laughs> it's not appropriate considering the weather that's happening right now, but it's definitely worth your time, especially that the fact that it's free. So if you're 21 and up, come out the 13th of October for Potoween from Geeks Under the Influence Fuck. with Smack My Pitch Up and yes. Blues Clues. It's going to be so much fun. So that, we're going to leave you with that. Definitely check out our merch on TeePublic. There's a link, uh, gypodcast.com slash store. Click on the TeePublic link. We've got new merch coming up. Uh, we've got an Ouija board one that's really fun that just came out. We've got a, uh, a, a bunch of new designs that are coming out. So just keep your, an eye on that. There's sales almost every single week. So if the shirts are like 20 wait like a few days and they'll drop down to like 13 or 14 bucks so there's also buttons available now too so you can get your own uh, one or two inch size buttons uh, through the site as well so check it out and uh, we'll see you next time for another episode of Smack My Pitch Up I'm Mike the Hobbit and you just got pitch smacked hell yeah GUIPodcast.com (laughs) 